Lydia, can you tell Granddaddy who did we draw? Who's that? G. Who is it? G. Jesus. That's right. And Jesus is? Life. Alive. Can you say alive? Alive. And that is good? Good news. Good news. That's right. And that's why we can have a, what kind of day are we having? What kind of day are we having? Are we having? That's right. You say, I love you, Granddaddy. I do. I do. That's right. Good morning, church. The elders would like to take this opportunity to present a budget for 2021 for our congregation. Current circumstances make it difficult to meet uh, but we wanted you to have some idea of our financial position. A presentation that includes numbers will be included with the bulletin next week when it's sent out. As always, if you have questions, please contact one of the elders. As your eldership, we wanted to make some general comments concerning the numbers and our financial condition before you see the illustration. Our congregation continues to be generous, and we want to commend you for your support of our ministries. Much is being accomplished, both locally and otherwise, that would not be possible without your support. Much of what we do with the Lord's help doesn't require money, but for most of our ministries, your gifts make those ministries possible. In regards to revenue, Contributions for 2020 were approximately $21,000 less than 2019. Considering that many of our members were uh, struggling to remain employed, this number is not so astounding. That reduction does make looking forward more difficult, uh, but we do have a proposition for you. In regards to expenses, in 2020, spending was also reduced. This was mostly due to the fact that the major improvement that we planned in the kitchen area was postponed. Since we haven't been able to meet at our or fellowship at the building, the postponement hasn't been a hardship. In addition, the church retreat was canceled and some other expenses were not necessary. In total, our spending for 2020 was less than the revenue we collected and our financial condition is good. However, the impact to our ministries is hard to measure. Our plan for 2021 is to regroup and revive our ministries. Our budget for 2021 is designed to challenge us. And this is our proposal. We'd like to propose a slight increase of about 2% in contributions over the amount that was given in 2020. We want to get back to work. We hope you have the same desire. We need your support and we need your ideas. Again, if you have questions or comments about the budget, please contact us either by phone or by email. We can even meet at the building if we follow the appropriate guidelines. Let's get back to work. Thank you. Hello, testing, 
fire and brimstone. Test, test, test. Yeah, I think that's fine. Hello. my beard so that shouldn't be a problem anymore. So I remember the picture of your house thing the way I thought it said Microsoft and Word or Although Jeff is, this is Jeff. (laughs) I don't think Jeff will move. He won't be singing Walking in the Light of God or anything, so. I'm on TV.
it's good to see you all again. Glad when see bright smiling faces, even I can tell they're smiling even behind the mask. I really can. So that's good. It's a great thing. Let's start out. We have much to be joyful for. <clears throat> joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, Fill us with the light of day. All thy works with joy surround thee. Earth and heaven reflect thy rays. Stars and angels sing around thee. Center of unbroken praise. Field and forest, vale and mountain, flowery Sea, clinting bird and flowing fountain, call us to rejoice in thee. Mortals join the mighty chorus which the morning stars began. Father, love is reigning o'er us, brother, love binds man to man. Ever singing, march we onward in the triumph song of strife. Hearful music leads us onward in the triumph song of life. Good morning. We want to welcome you this morning to worship. Uh, we're excited that you can be here in person or with us online. Uh, this morning, Kyle's going to be bringing us our lesson on uh, everyone a disciple, and I'm looking forward to hearing from him on that. Uh, we want to let you know that uh, we've got a number of things that are going on. We've got some small groups that are meeting, uh, some limited in person, some online. I uh, encourage you to take a look in our bulletin for information about that. Also want to let you know that uh, we just finished up our week of prayer. Uh, if you didn't participate in that, all of the prayer prompts are still up, and you can make this week your week of prayer. Um, it was a really beneficial thing for me. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Also want to remind everyone that we have some Bible reading plans that are available. And so share all of that with you just to say uh, we have uh, ways that we want to encourage you to help you grow in your faith uh, this year and, of course, in all years to come. Let's start our service this morning with some prayer. Our Father in heaven, you are good and faithful and holy. And this morning we have come together to worship you. Uh, we have come together to lift your name in song, uh, to hear from your word, to uh, just encourage one another's hearts, to think on our, our salvation as we participate in communion together, to think on the work that you call us to as your body here in this world. Father, we are blessed to be called your children and we are blessed to approach you in prayer. And we don't fail to recognize that this morning. Thank you for the blessings you've given to us. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Church in Newburgh. Our scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. If you want to follow along, it's on the screen, or you can grab your Bibles. Matthew 28. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. As uh, Chris said, we are in a series right now called Every One where we're really trying to focus in on each person's part in the body and how we are all called to play some kind of role 
in God's mission to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth. And this morning we're going to be focusing on what it means to be a disciple. And I want to offer a thought and a challenge. What word should we use to describe ourselves as followers of Jesus, and does it matter? I think, you know, we know that the words that we choose... Is my, is my other mic on? Hello, hello. Oh, there we go. It was, it was sneaking away from me there. Okay, there we go. We know that the words that we use are embedded with meaning and ideas that shape us. And there are a lot of different words that we use or we find in Scripture to describe who we are in Christ as Jesus' followers. And I want to just take a moment to reflect on that. One word that we find in Scripture that we often use uh, a lot today is the word members. Um, And it's used about ten times uh, in Scripture, depending on context and all of that. And it's mostly used in bodily metaphors about the body of Christ and how each of us are a member of it. And it's interesting to note that the word church member is not found in Scripture. Now, I don't want to make too big a deal about that, but I think that we can at least gain some important insight about that. You know, the word member today carries perhaps a little less weight or meaning than it did in Scripture and how it was used, especially in those bodily metaphors. You can be a member of pretty much anything rather easily. All you really have to do is sign up and pay your dues. Uh, for, for instance, if you were a member of, let's say, a country club and you have access to uh, the, the place where you can eat and the golf course or whatever it may be, To be a member of a country club, all you really have to do is pay your dues and maybe live in a certain area, and you don't even have to show up to the golf course. Um, You're you're still a member of that place. In fact, they probably prefer if you don't show up so that they can open the course to other people and make more money. So the word member, uh, we find that in Scripture to describe the people of God. Followers is another word that we see in Scripture. And uh, followers occurs about eight times. And it's not always only specific to Jesus and his followers. Sometimes John's uh, disciples are called followers. And again, uh, followers can mean a lot of different things. Followers are, are present even more perhaps than sometimes members might be. Um, but they're not always very committed. There were lots of people who followed Jesus around, but Jesus himself points out that those people, they only want to see signs, or they only want to be fed, and not all of them are really there to be committed and challenged. When things get messy or dangerous or challenging, followers often scatter. And even today, the word follower has kind of lost some weight. Again, uh, in the world of social media, you can follow all sorts of different things by just pressing a button, and it mostly just signifies your interest in something. You want to be somewhat updated about this person or group or figure, and so you follow them. But it doesn't take a lot of commitment to be a follower. 
Then there's the word Christian. And this is probably the word we use most commonly today. Um, it's more of a later adopted title, but it's very prevalent. Uh, if, you say that, if you say, I'm a Christian, people have at least some kind of understanding of what that means. But the word Christian is only used about three times in Scripture. And it's probably because earlier on that wasn't, as, as a title, as popular of a, of a descriptor. And it gained popularity as more and more people began to follow Jesus. But I think the message that it conveys is good. It, you are one who belongs to Christ. If I call myself a New Burgundian, I don't know if that's the correct way to say it, but if I'm a New Burgundian, that means I am a person of Newburgh. And so it conveys a good message. But again, we don't see it often in Scripture. And that brings us to the last word, which you probably guessed it, is disciples. And I don't know if it would shock you to know that the word disciple occurs over 260 times in various forms in the Greek, whether it's like a verb or a noun, but over 260 times. And it's not always limited to the 12 apostles. Sometimes, or probably most of the time, it is at least referring to that group and potentially others. But it's easily the most common reference to those who belong to Christ in the New Testament. And it, it's a word that contains a lot of depth. And I hope we can uh, pull out some of the meaning in that word this morning. But a, a disciple, ultimately, if we were to think about it in more modern terms, was an apprentice, a hands-on learner dedicated to their master who would eventually take over the trade and pass it on to their next apprentice. And we have apprenticeships even today, although they may not be as common um, as they would have been back then. But this idea of learning from a master, doing what your master does, and eventually taking over that and passing it on to someone else is a great way to understand what it means to be a disciple. Disciple, the word, carries with it the mission of God's people to make more disciples. And I think it, this word does that in a way that some of these other words don't convey as well. You know, to be a Christian, to be a follower, to be a member... A lot of those words are more mostly about your own status and identity, whereas a disciple embedded in that word was this idea that you would learn from your master so that you could pass that on and disciple someone else. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think there's any better evidence we need to see the importance of this word disciple, because I think it, it best describes, not that these other words are bad at all, of course not, but it best describes who we are compared to the other words there. And I think one way we can really learn about what it means to be a disciple is to look at Jesus' last words to his first disciples. And that brings us to our text this morning, which I read, Matthew 28. So, the setting is they are in Galilee and they're on a mountain. And you know... Pretty much every time Jesus goes up on a mountain, something important is about to happen. And 
The disciples were anticipating this before Jesus' death and once after, he, when he was resurrected, uh, he told his disciples, go to Galilee, I will meet you there. In Matthew twenty six thirty two and Matthew twenty eight seven. So Jesus appears to his 11 disciples at this time and gives them this final commission. And he says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey um, <clears throat> excuse me, everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the question here is, is everyone a disciple? Does this commission, does this sending out apply to all Christians at all times, or was Jesus only speaking to his 11 apostles, and this was their mission that they would carry out? Well, I would say, yes, it does apply to all Christians at all times, and of course in different ways. Not everyone is called to go to the far reaches of, of, of the earth. Some of us are called to our own communities, but we are all called as disciples of Jesus, to carry out this great commission, to go and make disciples, to teach, to baptize. <clears throat> so what should we do then as disciples who make disciples? And I want to just kind of break down this passage. So the first part that Jesus says is, therefore, go. You know, many churches, I think, uh, as we become established in our communities and in our ways, we believe that making disciples simply means unlocking our doors. And I don't think that's always how, what we believe, but sometimes that's how we operate. That if we unlock our doors, open our doors, and just invite people in, we're making disciples. And of course, that's part of it. But... Jesus had an expectation that his disciples would leave. They would start in Jerusalem, but then they would go on to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, as, as he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He had an expectation that his disciples would go out to the people and not simply wait for them to come uh, into the, the, the local synagogue or our local churches. And the thing is, we don't have to go very far. Often, our mission field, if you will, is right across the street or in our very neighborhood, neighborhoods or in our places of work. But I think the era of churches simply waiting for people to darken our doors is over. I think we must go. I think that always needs to be our prerogative. And in Scripture, we see the power of the Holy Spirit when they were out being witnesses, proclaiming the message of Jesus, and when they were going out to the people to spread good news. We know that when they were sent out, you know, there's some uncertainty there. There's some sense of danger and vulnerability. But we see the Spirit of God at work in those people when they're carrying out this commission. So we have to go. The second part is make disciples. And of course, this 
is where things get a little complicated too. What does that mean to make disciples? And I think, again, we have to start thinking of this idea of apprenticeship. To make disciples is to develop people. It takes time. It's not simply converting people. It's not simply convincing people. It's making disciples. And this takes time and care. We, I think there's a difference just um, in our minds when we think about the difference of making disciples rather than making church members. Because embedded in that idea of being a disciple is helping people realize that they too are a part of the mission of God to go and make more disciples. <clears throat> disciples simply, they, they don't simply just know Scripture, they know God. Disciples don't simply go to church, they have fellowship with the Lord and with others. And disciples don't simply follow the rules, they seek to please God with their entire lives. And so I think it's a, it's a much more all-encompassing thing. Jesus wanted people's entire being to be changed and transformed into his will, into his desire, into his mission. I think we kind of get hung up on, okay, what does that exactly look like? And I, I can remember growing up, you know, I was told to you know, live a certain way, and of course that's a part of being a disciple, to be obedient to God's will. I was told to tell my friends about Jesus, invite them to church, and of course that's a piece of what it means to be a disciple, to try to expose them to who Jesus is and to get to know him and understand his way, his teaching. But I think sometimes we forget about that key relational piece, that disciple-making is really about doing exactly what Jesus did. He would choose a few people, and in his case, it was about 12. In my case, I don't know if I could handle 12. I'm thinking more like two to four people who I will lovingly pour myself into and share my life with them, and they share their life with me, and I want to show them the way of Jesus and to teach them how to show that to other people. And it's a, it's a long process at times, but it takes investing in people in, in ways that just simply inviting them to come and see what we do on Sunday isn't enough. It, it takes going farther, going beyond that, investing in others with the purpose of proclaiming the good news of Jesus and teaching them to do what you do and to love who you love. You know, who is the Lord? So he goes on to say that we're to make disciples of all nations. And again, this, this shows us the importance of going. It's hard to make disciples of all nations, even in a digital age, if, age, if we don't go. If we don't go to those places. And it shows us that Jesus' vision of the kingdom was grand. It was huge. And sometimes I think ours is a little small. You know, what would it look like if our church really embraced that idea that we're going to make disciples of all nations, not even just thinking about our, our own community or our, our own city? What would it look like if we wanted to make disciples of all nations, starting here in Newburgh? Because that's what the apostles did. They started in Jerusalem and then Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. 
So we can start in our own cities, in our own neighborhoods. But the ultimate goal as followers of Jesus is to spread the kingdom of God everywhere. And then he talks about two important points that he wants us to pass on as part of this process of making disciples. And I'll be a little more brief here because I think this is the part that we get a little better. You know, we understand the importance of baptism and teaching. That's, that's important to us, and it shows, and I, I appreciate that, especially about this congregation, because Jesus had expectations about what it meant to make disciples. He didn't want people just to adopt some kind of cognitive ideology, just to say, that sounds pretty good to me. He wanted total transformation of our hearts and of our minds. And we can see that through this process of baptism and teaching. These are ongoing things, and they're things that take time and relationship if we're going to uh, baptize people and to teach them. This is an ongoing process that, that can't just happen on Sunday mornings or on Wednesday nights. And then he says, remember, I am with you always. And I, th- this point is something, there's something that really struck me about this that I heard from, from another preacher. You know, we often, as the people of God, we crave the presence of God in our lives. I don't know about you, but that is a very common prayer of mine, that I would be able to feel and recognize God's presence and God's direction in my life. Because I want to go where he goes. I want to be sent where he is sending me. And so it helps when I can feel that presence and recognize God's will in my life. But something I I didn't really notice is Jesus is, is giving them this promise, but it's in the context of this great commission. Sometimes I think we expect to feel God's presence or to experience God's presence but we're not always carrying out the Great Commission. And he promises that he will be with them, but he also tells them to go. And so I think sometimes if we want to experience the presence of Jesus, we need to join him in his mission. We need to be going out. We need to be making disciples. And again, we see it in Acts all over the place that when the disciples of Jesus are going, and when they're teaching and baptizing, God's presence is with them. They experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. I, I have come to see that I think this, this command, and I do think it is a command for all of us to go and make disciples, I think that, honestly, this is one of the most difficult commands to follow. And I wonder why. I think that perhaps sometimes we have clouded our understanding over the years of what it means to be a disciple and to make disciples. And perhaps sometimes we would rather be church members than disciple makers. Because honestly, being a church member is easier. We don't have to be as vulnerable. We don't have to speak out as much. We don't have to go and make relationships with people that maybe we wouldn't really want to. 
there's a, a preacher, a speaker named Francis Chan. I don't know if, if you're aware of who he is, but he's, um, he's one of my favorite preachers. And he talks about the difference between Simon Says and Jesus Says. Of course, we know Simon Says is the fun uh, game where one person will say, Simon Says, you know, tap your head. So you tap your head only if Simon Says, right? So you have to follow that, and if you don't follow it correctly, you're out. And I think in the church, usually we're pretty good at uh, following what Jesus says. But sometimes in the church, uh, when it comes to the Great Commission, we're not always so great at actually going out and making disciples. Sometimes we take Jesus says and we make it to mean we have to study it and memorize it. And I think this is especially true of the Great Commission. Because we're told to go and to make disciples. But, but do we really do that? Are we, are we all doing that? Is every one of us pursuing a disciple-making relationship? Maybe you are being discipled by someone else. And you are discipling your own person into the image of Christ. And uh, Francis Chan, he, he talks about this metaphor of imagine if uh, you, you asked your child to go clean your room. Go and clean your room. And they come back an hour or two later and they say, I memorized what you said. I can quote it. I can even say it in Greek. And at church tomorrow, we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. And better yet, I think we might start a ministry where we can get others to come and clean my room. And of course, you know, this is a silly analogy, but I think sometimes we treat the Great Commission or we treat other pieces of Scripture this way, that it's good to memorize it, and it's good to live that out and to, to be moral people who, whose hearts reflect God's and to do good things in our, in our world so that others may glorify God. But we often leave out that part about making disciples. Because that part is hard. That part requires something of me that maybe we're not always willing to give. It requires us to be vocal. It requires us to be in relationship with people. It requires us to be rejected sometimes. And we don't always like that part. But to me, it seems that what Jesus is asking of us it is very clear. That he wants us to go and to, to make disciples. And I think that we all need to pray about what that would look, <clears throat> excuse me, what that would look like in our church and in our own lives to follow this command of, of making disciples. So what I want to leave us with is um, just simply five markers, and this is not an exhaustive list, but I tried to boil things down to what are five markers we can see uh, of, of a disciple. And maybe we can start reflecting on what this really means in our lives. What, what does this look like in my life? The first marker that I really recognize... Um, in the New Testament, from people who are disciples of Jesus, is, again, that willingness to go. What does it look like in my life 
for me to go somewhere. And again, I think that's where it just takes prayer and discernment. For some people, like I think about the Rockwells and what they're willing to do with their family is amazing to me. And in some ways, I'm a little jealous. Part of me would love to just drop things and to go somewhere that I feel God calling me. And so, you know, they're willing to take their family to Argentina and to work with people there in this amazing program. And their idea of go, how they have discerned God calling them to go, is pretty grand. And it's, it's taking them far away. But again, it, it's not always like that. For some of us, go means go across the street and get to know your neighbors. I was talking with, with Bob Lubin not too long ago. I'm in his, uh, uh, his leadership uh, class that he does, his life or small group that he does. And he always emphasizes the point of knowing your neighbors and knowing who they are. And when we really know who our neighbors are, and he's talking about literally the people who live in the houses next to you. When we know them, we can pray for them. We can talk to them. It opens up doors and opportunities. So sometimes going is literally just going across the street or going wherever we go. We're carrying that mission with us. The second marker that I've really noticed uh, from Jesus and his disciples, he really tries to cultivate this in his disciples during his ministry, is that disciples have a heart for people. And this is, of course, very important because the more and more our hearts are shaped to be less about ourselves and more about other people, and especially those who are lost, when our hearts are concerned more and more about them, it pulls us to go. It pulls us to have those conversations because we know the importance of it. We know the eternal consequences that we all face. And we want what we have been given by Christ. We want that for other people. And we can see Jesus doing this all the time. Who he chose to spend his time with. To go to the marginalized. To go to those who needed him most. And he taught his disciples to do that as well. There were times when his disciples tried to turn those people away. But later on in Acts, when we see them picking up the mantle, that's where they're going too. They learned to develop a heart for people. The third is that they're able to communicate the gospel. And this again is an important marker of what it means to be a disciple who makes disciples. Is that it's not just about knowing the rules to follow. It's not just about having good theology and good doctrine. It's being able to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ from my life to someone else. The good news that I have experienced in my life because of what Jesus has done for me, I can communicate that to someone else. And to be honest, that's harder than it sounds. I think that's something that takes practice to learn what to say. And, and it takes prayer to, to ask that the Spirit would intercede for us when we don't know what to say. But learning how to communicate the gospel 
to other people is another marker of what it means to be a disciple maker. The fourth is being attentive to the Spirit. And again, I just I love looking through Acts for examples of this because everywhere we turn in Acts, you see that the Holy Spirit is at work and the disciples are listening to the Spirit and they're going where the Spirit directs them and they're, they're, they're doing miracles by the power of the Spirit. And so there, we have to be very attentive to the Spirit and what we're being uh, called to do And sometimes, I don't know about you, but every now and then I get that kind of inner sense that, you know, I should say something to that person. I should check in on that person and see how they're doing. I should go and see if I can help that person. And I really believe, what else could that be other than the Spirit of God urging us on? And we need to be attuned to that. We need to be attentive to that. And then finally, and this is a big one, we need to pray for courage because this is hard. I mean, read the book of Acts and how many Christians were killed. How many followers of Jesus were killed for what they were doing. We can look throughout history and see many examples of Christians who died for their faith. And still today, that is happening. And it's not always about that. You know, it's not always about becoming a martyr, but they had the courage to face that. And I think if they had the courage to face that, it means that I need to at least have the courage to face simple rejection and potentially persecution. Um, Maybe not, again, to the extent that some of these early Christians faced. But sharing the good news takes courage. It really does. And I really believe that sometimes I lack that courage. And I need to pray for that. And I think, I think perhaps we all do. So, I, I want to wrap things up because um, I, think, I think I've made my point. But I want to leave us with this idea. I think as a church... We, and I'm speaking about here in Newburgh, in this congregation, I think we do a lot of things really well. I really do. I I love this congregation. I love the people in it. I think we have so much potential here in Newburgh. But I do think that we need to spend time focusing on this idea of being a disciple who makes disciples because our church will grow if we're doing that. Our church will grow if every one of us is seeking this. And again, it's not my skill. It's not what I know. It's not how I can speak. It's what God can do through us. But it takes a willingness. And it takes these things here in order to accomplish that. But I really believe, you know, looking ahead from this year that we've had that's been very discouraging, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. People are lonely. People are in need of what we have. And we need to have the courage to share that. And I think it starts with prayer and practice and working together as a community.
to accomplish this. So this morning, and as we look ahead to this year, I pray that we may seek to be, every one of us, disciples who make disciples. We'll go ahead and continue in our time of worship now. In my life, Lord, be glorified, be glorified. In my life, Lord, be glorified today. In my song, Lord, be glorified, be glorified in my song, Lord, be glorified today in your church, Lord, be glorified, be glorified in your church, Lord, be glorified today. <clears throat> Prince of Peace, control my will, bid this struggling heart be still. Bid my fears and strutting cease, hush my spirit into peace. May thy will, not my Gethsemane, 
lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. Show me the tomb where thou wast laid, tenderly mourned and wept. Angels in robes of light arrayed, guarded thee whilst thou slept. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. May I be willing, Lord, to bear daily my cross for cup of grief to share, thou hast borne all for me. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me. We have a wonderful time now uh, to focus on Jesus during the Lord's Supper and uh, focus on being a disciple of his and a few things that that uh, entails. And to help us think about that, and also help us tie that in with what Kyle just uh, encouraged us to do. I want to show a video. So uh, pay very careful attention because it goes by quick, but it's quite deep. So uh, could you play this uh, video for us, Dave? Lydia, can you tell Granddaddy who did we draw? Who's that? G. Who is it? G. Jesus, that's right. And Jesus is? Life. Alive! Can you say alive? Alive! And that is good... Good news. Good news, that's right. And that's why we can have a... What kind of day are we having? What kind of day are we having? Are we having... Happy day! Happy day, that's right. You say, I love you, granddaddy. So most of you probably recognize that's my daughter Mary and my uh, granddaughter Lydia, who is uh, just turned two. And she doesn't have a whole lot of sentences yet. She doesn't have a whole lot of words yet. Uh, But she's learning. Jesus, he's alive. That is good news. So we can have a happy day. And when you say, what is this gospel discipleship stuff? Jesus, he is alive. That is good news. 
we can have a happy day. And we get to thank God for that right now by partaking of Jesus' body and Jesus' blood. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear God, we are so grateful that Jesus is alive. We are so grateful that he was willing to die for us, and he went through that that we'll all go through, but that he is alive. And that is good news, and that makes our day happy. Thank you for the bread that we're about to partake of that reminds us of the risen, living Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. We're thinking about Jesus here. I'd like to share a passage. Uh, if you've got your Bibles or grab your Bible and turn to 1 Timothy 4.13. Uh, this is a passage that I think is a great communion passage, actually, for the Lord's Supper. But it's one that I've been thinking about a lot lately. And it's one that's been giving me a lot of comfort. And I know a lot of you in this church, in this congregation, uh, are going through a lot right now. And um, this is a great passage. Jesus, he's alive. That's good news. We can have a happy day. Read along, follow along with me in 1 Timothy 4.13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, we who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, Encourage one another with these words. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord God, you promised your disciples that you would be with them till the end of the age. And you have told us that we can be with you forever. Those are encouraging words. That is good news that does give us a happy day help us to think about the great gift you've given us through Jesus as we partake 
of this fruit of the vine. And it's in Jesus' name that we offer this prayer of thanks. Amen. And we do want to remind you that there are lots of ways that you can help the church financially. Uh, slip your check under the door, uh, set up bill pay, or give online at uh, our website. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing cleansing flood. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him all and all. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease. Just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him all and all. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust Thee, precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that Thou art with me, wilt be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him more and more. Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. not quite used to walking all the way up from the back of the auditorium at the end of service. Um, 
Sorry about keeping you all hanging there for a moment. And now I'm also hearing our live stream up in the fellowship hall, so that's kind of neat. Uh, we are so glad that we've had the opportunity to worship together this morning. Uh, it's been good to worship with you. I really appreciated Kyle's lesson today. Uh, you know, we have a lot to think about as far as disciple-making goes and how we as individuals will go about making disciples. And I think it's important for us to have in mind that question. How, how will I be a disciple maker. I want to encourage you to think about that this week as we go, as we go about our lives and as we work in our communities, as we work in our homes, as we work uh, wherever God finds us, uh, let us. Let us be making disciples. We have a couple of announcements this morning. Uh, one is pre-recorded. It's in regards to our budget. Uh, and the other will be made by Dawn here in just a moment about uh, our, our elder search. Um, I do want to ask you to uh, be mindful of the Rooney family. Uh, as many of you know, Brian had shared uh, earlier this week that his father had been uh, uh, admitted to the hospital with pneumonia. Uh, his heart had stopped and they had to resuscitate him. Uh, they have made the decision uh, to take him off of life support. And so this morning, Brian, uh, Jessica, and Michael are on their way to go uh, pay their last respects. And so. Uh, before we have our announcements, I want to pray for them and for their travels. Our Father in heaven, uh, we pray for Brian, for Jessica, for, uh, for Michael, and for their travel. And Lord, we pray that you uh, watch over them and keep them safe. Uh, Father, to be making that drive with the knowledge that they have, um, we, uh, we know that their hearts are heavy. And so our hearts are heavy along with them. Uh, we pray for peace in their hearts in regards to... Uh, the impending loss that they're experiencing. Uh, we pray, Father, that in any way that we can be a comfort and a blessing to them, that you open our eyes and our hearts to be able to do so. Help us as a congregation to feed them in their time of hunger. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time, we'll have our announcements. Good morning, church. The elders would like to take this opportunity to present a budget for 2021 for our congregation. Current circumstances make it difficult to meet, uh, but we wanted you to have some idea of our financial position. A presentation that includes numbers will be included with the bulletin next week when it's sent out. As always, if you have questions, please contact one of the elders. As your eldership, we wanted to make some general comments concerning the numbers and our financial condition before you see the illustration. Our congregation continues to be generous, and we want to commend you for your support of our ministries. Much is being accomplished, both locally and otherwise, that would not be possible without your support. Much of what we do with the Lord's help doesn't require money, but for most of our ministries, your gifts make those ministries possible. In regards to revenue, contributions for 2020 were approximately $21,000 less than 2019. Considering that many of our members were uh, struggling to remain employed, this number is not so astounding. That reduction does make looking forward more difficult uh, but we do have a proposition for you. In regards to expenses, in 2020, spending was also reduced. This was mostly due to the fact that the major improvement that we planned in the kitchen area was postponed. 
since we haven't been able to meet at our or fellowship at the building, the postponement hasn't been a hardship. In addition, the church retreat was canceled and some other expenses were not necessary. In total, our spending for 2020 was less than the revenue we collected and our financial condition is good. However, the impact to our ministries is hard to measure. Our plan for 2021 is to regroup and revive our ministries. Our budget for 2021 is designed to challenge us. And this is our proposal. We'd like to propose a slight increase of about 2% in contributions over the amount that was given in 2020. We want to get back to work. We hope you have the same desire. We need your support and we need your ideas. Again, if you have questions or comments about the budget, please contact us either by phone or by email. We can even meet at the building if we follow the appropriate guidelines. Let's get back to work. Thank you.